Hello, my podcast listeners. Thank you for joining me today. You're listening to the In Search of God's Instructions podcast. I'm your host, Shirley Vinson, and every week I invite you to join me for support and encouragement on your journey to a deeper understanding of the spiritual way that God wants His children to live. We are all in the spiritual walk of life together, but no matter the storms you face, if you search for His instructions, He will bring you through. Welcome back to In Search of God's Instructions podcast. I hope you enjoyed your time of rest during the period of Sukkot. Let us begin with the prayer. I thank you, Father, for having this time to study your word in the book of Ezekiel. I pray that you will please be with us and bless us with wisdom and understanding, knowledge and discernment as we take a look at the words that you have given us here and try to understand the meaning of them and how they pertain to our lives today. Please bless us with wisdom and knowledge and discernment and open our eyes and our understanding to all that you would have us to know in these last days that we are living in. These things we ask and pray for in the name of Yehoshua, our Lord and our Savior. This podcast does not condone anti-Semitism, anti-Catholicism, or any religious belief a person chooses to practice for his or her life. The purpose of this podcast is to study what is written in our Holy Scriptures and to get an understanding of what it is that God requires of us to become a part of His kingdom. Please keep that in mind as we continue our study with the book of Ezekiel. Before I get started, our Creator God has instructed us that wherever we are, when we decide within our heart that we want to get to know Him, we simply need to stop where we're at, call out to Him, and search for Him with all of our hearts, our minds, and our souls. And as we begin to do these things, He will begin to hear our call to Him, and He will begin to respond to us, to answer us, and give us direction to put our feet on the correct path that will lead to soul salvation and eternity with Him. So visit me at my website, insearchofgodsinstructions.org, and subscribe to my podcast channel, and download the free guide to help you get started with your relationship with God, if that is what you're seeking to do. Before I get started with the book of Ezekiel, I think that it is important to explain that living a life according to the instructions of God is not as easy as I sometimes or others may make it seem as though it is or make it sound like it's an easy thing to do. This walk of life is the hardest walk of life you will ever take. Regardless of what you've been through in your life, you will find that seeking out a life that leads to soul salvation is going to be a life that will often be considered for most of you a lonely life. First, let's start with the Bible. As you read the Bible, the Bible was developed from 
a Hebrew mindset, meaning that from the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, he communed with them every day by visiting them in the Garden of Eden. Then Adam and Eve fell. Upon their fall, they were driven out from the Garden of Eden. From everything that has ever been studied, one thing that scientists can agree with is that the creation of mankind and the beginnings of knowledge, when they trace back all data and information that they can find, leads back to the continent of Africa. Back then it wasn't called Africa, but for today's purpose, the world that we live in, the maps that we have, it's easier to envision in your mind the continent of Africa as being the cradle of the beginning of time. After God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden, we know that many things took place in their lives. They had developed a sinful nature through being disobedient when they ate of the forbidden tree that God told them to not eat from. And as a result of this, the deed and title for planet Earth fell into the hands of Satan, Satan. God made a plan to redeem mankind and the earth and take back the deed from Satan regarding planet Earth. In order for mankind to be redeemed, it required a blood sacrifice. That blood sacrifice had to be pure, spotless, without fault in any way. Eventually, after thousands of years, that blood sacrifice was Yeshua, our Messiah. In Christianity, he's well known as Jesus. In order to bring him into the world, to be a part of man, to experience in the flesh what the human beings experience every day of our lives, he had to come into the world as flesh, although he was spiritual in nature. Meaning, when he came into the world, he came in with the Spirit of God, with the fleshly body. In order for him to become our blood sacrifice, he had to properly, correctly, in every way, keep the instructions of God. And when I say keep the instructions of God, meaning he had to perform them, not putting in his desires of what he thought was right and wrong, but he had to perform them according to the instructions that God had ordained from the beginning of creation for this earth and for the human beings that lived on it or that would be living on it. He went to the stake. He shed his blood. And now here we are today living in a time where he is soon to return. I won't go through all the details because that's a long history. But I suggest if you are joining this podcast for the first time that you take the time to go to my website and download previous episodes that leads up to information regarding the redemption of man by Yeshua, our Messiah. Now, the thing to remember here, as you study the Bible, trying to glean an understanding of God's instructions for your life, there's some things that you should keep in mind. The fact is 
God created five books that was written down, and I'm speaking specifically right now from a biblical perspective. From a biblical perspective, what we have as the Holy Bible today, when God called Moses to go to Pharaoh to say, let my people go, when he brought them out of Egypt, he created the Torah. He wrote it down on tablets of stone, gave it to Moses, had Moses build an ark, and these tablets of stone was placed inside the ark. The purpose of these tablets of stone was to teach Israel, and I'm talking about the tribes of Israel here, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because God made a covenant with Abraham. Go back, read through Genesis about this covenant. And eventually, this covenant was passed down through the lineage of Abraham, then through Isaac, then through Jacob, and on to the sons and children of Jacob. When we read the Bible, the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is directed at this group of people. That doesn't mean that because the entire Bible was developed and directed for this group of people, it does not mean that no one else is allowed to read the Bible. It does not mean that no one else is allowed to take the principles, the instructions that God has given in the Bible and apply them to their lives. What it means is that God made a covenant with the descendants of Jacob. When he made that covenant, he gave them a set of instructions to follow by because that covenant said to the people, I have made you a light to the world, to take my instructions to the world. And anybody who want to worship me as their God ought to be taught these instructions. And this is why when you read the Bible and you read the first five books of the Bible, that's Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. When you read those books, you see all sorts of instructions in there. And one of the instructions in there is that whenever a stranger, someone who is not born of the tribes of Israel, see how you are living and see how your God is blessing you and the things that he is doing for you and the peace that you have in your life. When they see how that God is performing in your life and they decide that this is the God that I want to worship, then you are to open the door for them to come in and you are to teach them as if they were born among you so that they can receive the blessings that you receive at the end of the day the greatest prize of the blessings that god gives to his people is an eternal rest with him i'm not going to go into whether or not hell is real and whether or not the soul still lives after death i've already gone through that and god will reveal those things to you when it comes to those types of questions once you start studying his word and decide that you want to live your life according to his instructions. So why is this important? Why am I saying this today on this particular episode? I'm saying it because it occurred to me that 
as people read the Bible, a lot of them don't quite get the understanding of what God is angry about. What's his complaint? Why is it so important about how we worship him, the days that we worship him? And he seems quite harsh if I make a mistake. All of these little things often pop up to people and quite a few people get discouraged because they think, well, I'm not of the tribes of Israel and God hasn't been answering my prayers. And their discouragement come in the fact that they feel that they have somehow been cut off or left out of the many bountiful blessings that God has given to the people who these instructions were written to. A person should never feel that way. Whether you're born of the tribes of Israel or not, a person should never feel that way because God is the creator of all mankind. He has given us free will of choice. So if you're not born of the tribes of Israel, but you choose to worship him, then you become a part of the family by saying that you want to worship him. You learn the same way he has taught his own children and you apply the instructions that he has given his own children. You take those instructions because now they also apply to you. You live them out in your life. You teach them to your children. They live them out in their lives. And that is how a person who's not born into the family becomes a part of the family. It's like with any adopted child. If you have the experience of ever being the parent of an adopted child and you've already had children before you adopted this child, do you let that child live according to the way that child wants to live and not apply the rules of the family that mom and dad has already laid down for the children that were born to them naturally? No, you teach that child the rules of the family. Mom and dad apply the rules of the family to the children who are born in the family. And if they decide to go and adopt a child who's born by someone else, and they want to raise that child as their own and love that child as their own, they take the same rules that they gave to their natural born children, and they give those rules to their adopted child. And the adopted child is expected to live by those rules and apply those rules in his or her life the same way that the natural children are expected to live by them and apply them. And when the adopted child decides to disobey the rules, then consequences come with disobeying the rules. And those consequences that the adopted child receives are the same consequences that the natural born children receive. There is no difference. And that is what God is saying to all people when you pick up the Bible and read it, keep in mind, one of the reasons God doesn't talk a lot about what is going on with the Gentile nations, his focus is 90% of the time on the Hebrew children because they are natural born into his household. So that's where he gives the rules too. And anybody else who want to learn the rules and apply the rules and want to worship him and become a part of his family, he become their spiritual father, then those rules apply to them as well. And so when you read it as an adopted child, you must keep in mind, this is what is required of me. 
even though I wasn't born into the family, this is what God requires of me if I want to become a part of his family. At the end of the day, if a person who is not born into the family, as well as a person who is born into the family, if either one of these two people make the decision that they don't want to be obedient to the instructions that God has set down for the family, they decide they're going to be disobedient, they're going to walk according to their own understanding, they're going to do what pleases them in life, and they turn their back on the family, they suffer the same consequences as a person who was never born into the family, who never wants to be a part of the family, and has no desire to apply the rules of the Creator God into their life. They want to live their life for me, myself, and I, whatever makes me feel good, the way I see it, if this is the right thing to do, I don't care about what God says to do, this is the way I'm going to do it, and they do it that way. At the end of the day, the consequences and the punishment is the same. The consequences and the punishment is the same for the person who disobeys the rules, who are born into the family, as well as for the person who never became a part of the family and have never obeyed the instructions. And that's the thing about our fleshly bodies. The human body, the flesh, walks contrary to God. It doesn't like being told what to do by anybody. And the more money you have, the more you rebel against the instructions from anybody. If you make the instructions, you know that you're free to break your instructions anytime that you want to. And you're never going to punish yourself for breaking your instructions. So if you're not going to punish yourself for breaking your own instructions, then why would you want to live by instructions from somebody else and when you feel that they are burdensome to you they're holding you in bondage that you don't want to be in why would you try to live by them and those are the things most people should keep in mind when we study the bible and the reason i'm saying this right now is because we're living in a time that we know the messiah is soon to return we know this through biblical prophecy in the beginning, God promised Adam and Eve a Savior, a Redeemer, to redeem them back to Him. He made that promise. God always keeps His promises. God has a timeline when it comes to His promises. I'm not going to go through all of this about His timeline. The main thing is to remember, God made a promise to send a Redeemer. The Redeemer was sent, and that Redeemer is the Messiah. Many people have rejected him and on the other hand many people have embraced him. Many people reject the Word of God. Many people have embraced the Word of God. And so therefore because we are at the end of God's timeline because he said this Redeemer would receive the keys to the kingdom. He will have the keys and he will have all power. The earth will be his. He is the son of God and he will rule it according to the instructions of God because he and the father are like-minded. They think as one. They act as one. And because they think as one and act as one, that tells us that 
when the Messiah returns, all the instructions that God gave man from the beginning of time will still continue to be enforced. And those instructions are instructions of righteousness. And the reason for that is because God does not abide in sin. He does not deal with sin. He stumps it out. Sin cannot come before him. None of us could survive in his presence in a sinful nature. And that is why he tells us, as long as you are in sin, and if you die in sin, you will be forever separated from him. So if we are in sin, and we are trying to have a relationship with God, but we continue to practice the sinful nature of our lives, then we're never going to get close to God. He may reveal a little something of himself to us, but he won't reveal any more if we don't take that little something and apply it in our lives. As we go through these next few years, however long, we have before the Messiah returns since the beginning of this year, 2020. As we prepare ourselves to meet our Maker, our Creator God, and our Messiah, Yeshua, who became our sacrificial lamb, we need to keep some things in mind here. Satan is after destroying the Hebrew children, not just the Hebrew children, those who are born of the seed of Jacob, He's also after destroying the adopted children of the seed of Jacob. Those who decided, I want to be a part of this family, even if I am adopted into it. Satan goes after the children who are adopted, as well as the children who are born of the seed of Jacob. And we know this because this is what Revelation tells us. I'm reading from Revelation chapter 12. Beginning at verse 15. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, and her offspring are identified by those who are keeping the commandments of God and have the testimony of Yeshua, our Messiah, the sacrificial lamb of the world, also known in the world of Christianity as Jesus Christ. In this book, not just once, but twice, that the dragon goes after those who are keeping the commandments of God and have the testimony or the faith of Yeshua, the Messiah. In chapter 14, beginning at verse 11, and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua. This is important because of the fact that we know that we're living in the last days. With everything that has been happening in our world since 
the beginning of 2020, beginning around February time frame, when the entire world put in place lockdowns for all the citizens on the earth because of the coronavirus. People were confined to their homes, schools were closed, businesses shut down, and it became a huge economic burden on everybody in the world with the exception of those who are extremely wealthy and leaders of the government who made the decision to do so. When we take a look at the book of Revelation, we see many things happening. We have a beast. We have a false prophet. We have a dragon. We have a beast who has a mark that plans to entrap people with his mark and tell them they cannot buy or sell without his mark. We have the dragon who gives his power to the beast. We have a false prophet who leads the beast and encourages everybody else in the world to follow after the beast, meaning that this beast has a religious system where he wants everybody to worship him because a prophet is a person who knows the word of God and they have the ability to teach the word of God. But most of you by now should know that everybody who knows the word of God doesn't always teach the word of God. They teach what they want to teach. So when they teach what they want to teach and tell you is from the word of God, that person is in essence a false prophet because they're teaching lies. And that is what the situation is when it comes to the entire book of the Bible, when it comes to the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. The false prophet has existed, the dragon has existed, and the beast has existed. But you don't see them all coming together to work as one from a human perspective until you start reading the book of Revelation. And the history behind the book of Revelation, when you think of Constantine, this is all historical information. Think of Constantine and how they got together and decided they were going to come up with one book. When it comes to all of these books, for the longest time, they, for years, I think it was something like three, four hundred years, they argued back and forth as to whether or not to include the book of Revelation in the Bible as opposed to the apocalypse of Peter in the Bible. And if you notice, you can't even get your hands on a copy of the apocalypse of Peter unless you go out searching for it and find a copy and purchase it from somewhere. In my case, many, many years ago, I discovered about the apocalypse of Peter and I wanted to know what it said. And I went out and I purchased a book about the apocalypse of Peter. Of course, the manuscript that it was translated from, which was the Hebrew, the manuscript had some parts of it missing. There was enough there to glean and understand. They chose the book of Revelation over the apocalypse of Peter because they said Revelation gave hope. Well, Revelation does give a lot of information, but I would think that the apocalypse of Peter would also give some hope in the sense that being a human being on the face of the earth, you would have some idea right away of a lifestyle that you should and should not be living in case you want to make the decision to 
become a member of God's kingdom. But in any case, we have the book of Revelation, and we see many things in this book of Revelation. We see that this beast is going to create an economic system where the people on the earth cannot buy or sell unless they have the mark of the beast. And you may have already seen some advertisements, commercials, where some people have already, they have a chip in their hand. I believe Switzerland is one of them. They have already implemented a microchip that goes under the skin, the flesh of your body, and all you do is you wave your hand under a light that can read the computerized portions of that chip to identify yourself and you get a pass to enter or you don't get a pass and you're locked out. I don't care if it's with going to a vending machine, going to your bank, anything that you want to do, you are tracked and given permission or denial based on that chip that is in your hand. All of these things are happening today. People are being distracted from the spiritual war that is actually taking place behind the scene. And the reason they're being distracted is because it is Satan's intention to steal as many souls off the face of the earth to join him in a place of a fiery torment forever. This is what the Word of God teaches us. When you die in your sins, you go to a fiery torment where the worm does not die and the fire is never quenched. God himself says it in the book of the prophets. Again, we see it when Yeshua tells us the same thing. And in the end, we see it in Revelation where the apostle John tells us the same thing. So at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether or not you believe there's a literal hell. It doesn't matter whether or not you believe that there is a God. It doesn't matter whether or not you believe anything that's written in the Bible. All of those things are irrelevant because at the end of the day, every single one of us will be judged by the instructions that God has given to his people in this book. And nobody will be able to stand before God and say, I did not know. You will be able to stand before God and he will say to you, do you think that you can hide and lie to me what you know and what you did not know? Because everybody will be judged by the same set of instructions. And as you think of that, keep in mind the critical times that we're living in. Now is the time to make a decision to either walk with God and follow his instructions or not walk with him and accept the consequence of being forever separated from him and making the choice to not walk and live by his instructions while you're here on the earth. It seems that things are starting to step up in the times that we're living in with the coronavirus being the opening gate to herd all humanity into a path that the beast, the dragon, and the false prophet want us to go. And they are using whatever means it takes to hurt us through this path. So when you start hearing things like we have to vaccinate a billion people, eight billion people on the face of the earth, perhaps you should take the time to start searching out for yourself 
What's the purpose of this vaccination? When you hear medical professionals say the coronavirus is nothing more than the common flu, if you've ever had the flu, you've had the coronavirus, then perhaps you need to go back and research and find out for yourself, is this true or is it not true? If the coronavirus is a part of the flu, what ingredients are they putting in this vaccine that they are demanding they have to give to 8 billion people on the face of the earth? And if you have to give this vaccination to 8 billion people on the face of the earth, how is it going to stop you from contracting any other illness that is not a part of the coronavirus? What are they going to do? Vaccinate you for that too? What is the purpose of this vaccination? Why is it that it's so important to vaccinate 8 billion people on the face of the earth? And how are you going to get 8 billion people vaccinated when you can't even seem to keep up with the number of ventilators that you say is required to save people's lives? Are you using the ventilators? Why is it that some people need to have masks and then you see world leaders to include religious world leaders walking around without their masks, but everybody else is required to wear masks? Why is it that you can have a huge gathering of people in our governments when it comes to government functions being conducted However, you can't have a gathering of more than so many people when it comes to a religious service being conducted. Why is it that some people of certain races seem to have more of a hard time overcoming COVID-19 compared to other people overcoming COVID-19? That means that there is something going on spiritually behind the scenes that you're not meant to know about. And you won't know about it as long as you don't investigate to find out about it. As long as we continue to trust everything that's being told to us by man, and we do not put our trust in God and ask him to touch our hearts and give us insight into what we should be concerned about and what we shouldn't be concerned about. If we don't trust God to guide us through this, the chances are we're not going to make it and still be a part of his kingdom because as things get tighter and tighter can you imagine watching a loved one starve to death because you refuse to take the mark of the beast do you trust god enough to say i'm not taking the mark of the beast and be prepared to die for not taking the mark of the beast it all sounds like yes you can say yes but when it comes to actually going through it. Have you ever starved a day in your life? I remember going through some starvation times in my life. It is not a fun thing. It's not fun. It is not fun to be used to the comforts of life and one day find yourself completely without the comforts of life. Can you imagine if you are a woman with your body going through all the female things that your body go through and being homeless and having to live through that? When you're so used to just getting up and taking care of your daily needs as far as your grooming and your hygiene and all the things you need as a woman or as a man. I'm speaking from a woman's perspective because I am a woman. But men go through the same things too. It's not easy to watch the people you love suffer. But yet that is the times that we are now living in. You not only 
have to make decisions for yourself, but you have to make decisions based on your family, those you love. Are you strong enough to walk away from family when they choose the mark of the beast over God? Are you at the point in your life where you can say that that is fine with you? Or are you going to say, well, if my child has to take the mark of the beast, I'd rather be with my child. It's a hard decision to make because we cling to the fleshly things of this world. And these are the kind of things that each and every one of us should think about from this day forward until our Messiah return or until we're no longer in this world. You have some tough decisions to make. Things are not going to get better. I am not trying to frighten any of my listeners. I'm simply telling you that this is what's coming. We didn't expect that our world would be like it is today in January of 2020. And here we are now in the middle of October 2020. And we're hearing that food shortages are coming. And from the research that I've been doing, a climate lockdown is coming. And through this climate lockdown, the possibility exists that red meat will be forbidden. Driving your automobiles will be forbidden. And you have to ask, well, what provisions will you have to be able to live daily if you have a job that you have to go to that requires you to drive your automobile, especially in this country? All of these things you need to think about, each of you. Pray, ask God's guidance, and I pray that he'll be with you as you try to make decisions for your life and try to do the best you can as a parent, particularly of small children, to make decisions regarding them as well. Chapter 31, the book of Ezekiel. Now it came to pass in the eleventh year, in the third month of the first day of the month, that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, say to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his multitude, Whom are you like in your greatness? Indeed, Assyria was a cedar in Lebanon, with fine branches that shaded the forest, and of high stature. And its top was among the thick boughs. The waters made it grow. Underground waters gave it height, with their rivers running around the place where it was planted, and sent out rivulets to all the trees of the field. Therefore its height was exalted above all the trees of the field. Its boughs were multiplied, and its branches became long, because of the abundance of water. As it sent them out, all the birds of the heavens made their nest in its boughs. Under its branches all the beasts of the field brought forth their young, and in its shadow all great nations made their home. Thus it was beautiful in greatness and in the length of its branches, because its roots reached to the abundant waters. The cedars in the garden of God could not hide it. The fir trees were not like its boughs, and the chestnut trees were not like its branches. No tree in the garden of God was like it in beauty. I made it beautiful with a multitude of branches, so that all the trees of Eden envied it that were in the garden of God. Therefore thus says the Lord God, Because you have increased in height, and it sets its top among the thick boughs, and its heart was lifted up in its height, 
Therefore I will deliver it into the hand of the mighty one of the nations, and he shall surely deal with it. I have driven it out of its wickedness, and aliens, the most terrible of nations, have cut it down and left it. Its branches have fallen on the mountains, and in all the valleys its bowls lie broken by all the rivers of the land, and all the peoples of the earth have gone from under its shadow and left it. On its ruin will remain all the birds of the heavens, and all the beasts of the fields will come to its branches, so that no trees by the waters may ever again exalt themselves for their height, nor set their tops among the thick boughs, that no tree which drinks water may ever be high enough to reach up to them, for they have all been delivered to death to the depth of the earth among the children of men who go down to the pit. Thus says the Lord God, In the day when it went down to hell, I caused mourning. I covered the deep because of it. I restrained the rivers and the great waters were held back. I caused Lebanon to mourn for it, and all the trees of the field waited because of it. I made the nations shake at the sound of his fall, when I cast it down to hell, all together with those who descended into the pit. All the trees of Eden, the choice and the best of Lebanon, all that drink water, were comforted in the depths of the earth. They also went down to hell with it, and those slain by the sword, and those who were its strong arm dwelt in its shadows among the nations. To which of the trees in Eden will you then be likened in glory and greatness? Yet you shall be brought down with the trees of Eden to the depths of the earth. You shall lie in the midst of the uncircumcised, with those slain by the sword. This is Pharaoh and all his multitude, says the Lord. Pharaoh being the king of Egypt. For generations there were Pharaohs born to succeed the Pharaoh who was before him. When a nation becomes so arrogant and so proud that other nations around it envy it, such nations have a tendency to trust in their own power, to trust in their own beauty. They have a tendency to forget the very God that created them. They have a tendency to forget that their blessings and their glory is because God has lifted them up and made them to be envious to other nations around them. And what's the purpose of doing that? God raised up a people to be envious because usually when you envy somebody, you have a tendency to want to be like somebody. You have a tendency to want to study them. What is it about them that makes them different? What is the source of their honor and their strength? What is the source of their beauty? And you have a tendency to seek and search and find out what the source of their strength and their beauty is. Why are they as powerful as they are? From a spiritual perspective, if you seek long enough and hard enough, you will find that it is a spiritual power that has made them great. So then you start to seek, what is that spiritual power? In this case, it was God. However, the Pharaohs thought they were God. They thought that the source of their strength and their beauty and their power was because of the Pharaoh that was sitting on the throne. 
and the pharaohs who sat on the throne before this particular pharaoh. Pharaoh lifted himself up above God. I am so great. Every nation around me fear me. And so therefore I have the power to rule over them because I have the strength to subdue them. But what they don't realize is that, you know what? You may have the power in a fleshly sense with all of your armies, with all of your finances, but you don't have the power of God. So God says, I will show you who is God. There is no God like me. I am the God of all gods. And usually with such nations, God will make an example of them. He will destroy them. Especially if he say to them, if he sends his leaders, his prophets, his people, spiritual leaders to them to say, repent of your ways, take care of the poor, humble yourself, do the right thing, pass just laws among your governing body, and don't distinguish between the rich and the poor. Don't turn a blind eye to the poor and open yourself up to the very rich. If you do what God says do, then he's going to lift you up. If you don't do what God says do, and you start seeking the praises of man to lift you up, God is going to tear you down. Think about that. I don't believe there is a nation on the face of the earth today who have not suffered through natural disasters since the lockdown of the world economies began due to coronavirus. And now we're looking at locking down all the nations on the face of the earth due to climate change. We must save the environment. I don't think God needs help saving his environment. What God needs is for every single nation to repent. The world leaders repent. Honor God, worship God, and acknowledge there is no God beside Creator God. And perhaps the climate will start getting better. But until that's done, prepare for God to deal with every nation on the face of the earth who has chosen to walk against him and not for him. Verse 32. And it came to pass in the twelfth year, in the twelfth month, on the first day of the month, that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and say to him, You are like a young lion among the nations, and you are like a monster in the seas, bursting forth in your rivers, troubling the waters with your feet, and fouling their rivers. Thus says the Lord God, I will therefore spread my net over you with the company of many people, and they will draw you up in my net. Then I will leave you on the land. I will cast you out on the open fields, and cause to settle on you all the birds of the heavens, and with you I will fill the beasts of the whole earth. I will lay your flesh to the mountains and fill the valleys with your carcasses. I will also water the land with the flow of your blood, even to the mountains, and the river beds will be full of you. When I put out your light, I will cover the heavens and make its stars dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon shall not give her light. All the bright lights of the heavens 
I will make dark over you and bring darkness upon your land, says the Lord God. I will also trouble the hearts of many peoples when I bring your destruction among the nations into the countries which you have not known. Yes, I will make many peoples astonished at you, and many kings shall be horribly afraid of you when I brandish my sword before them, and they shall tremble every moment, every man, for his own life in the day of your fall. For thus says the Lord God, The sword of the king of Babylon will come upon you by the swords of the mighty warriors, all of them, the most terrible of nations, I will cause your multitude to fall. They shall plunder the pomp of Egypt, and all its multitude shall be destroyed. Also, I will destroy all its animals from beside the great waters. The foot of man shall muddy them no more, nor shall the hooves of animals muddy them. Then I will make your waters clear, and make their rivers run like oil, says the Lord. When I make the land of Egypt desolate, and the country is destitute of all that once filled it, when I strike all who dwell in it, then they shall know that I am the Lord. This is the lamentation with which they shall lament her. The daughters of the nation shall lament her. They shall lament for her, for Egypt, and for all her multitude, says the Lord God. It came to pass also in the twelfth year of the fifteenth day of the month that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, wail over the multitude of Egypt, and cast them down to the depths of the earth, her and the daughters of the famous nations, with those who go down to the pit. Whom do you surpass in beauty? Go down, be placed with the uncircumcised. They shall fall in the midst of those slain by the sword. She is delivered to the sword, drawing her and all her multitudes. The strong among the mighty shall speak to him out of the midst of hell, with those who help him. They have gone down, they lie with the uncircumcised, slain by the sword. Assyria is there, and all her company, with their graves all around her all of them slain, fallen by the sword. Her graves are set in the recesses of the pit, and her company is all around her grave, all of them slain, fallen by the sword, who caused terror in the land of the living. There is Elam and all her multitude, all around her grave, all of them slain, fallen by the sword, who have gone down uncircumcised to the lower parts of the earth, who caused her terror in the land of the living. Now they bear their shame with those who go down to the pit. They have set her bed in the midst of the slain, with all her multitude, with her graves all around it, all of them uncircumcised, slain by the sword. Though their terror was caused in the land of the living, yet they bear their shame with those who go down to the pit. It was put in the midst of the slain. There are Meshach and Tubal and all their multitudes, with all their graves around it, all of them uncircumcised, slain by the sword. Though they cause their terror in the land of the living, they do not lie with the mighty, 
who are fallen of the uncircumcised, who has gone down to hell with their weapons of war. They have laid their swords under their heads, but their iniquities will be on their bones because of the terror of the mighty land of the living. Yes, you shall be broken in the midst of the uncircumcised and lie with those slain by the sword. There is Edom, her kings, and all her princes, who despite their might are laid beside those slain by the sword. They shall lie with the uncircumcised and with those who go down to the pit. These are the princes of the north, all of them and all the Sidonians who have gone down with the slain, in shame at the terror which they cause by their might. They lie uncircumcised with their slain by the sword and bear their shame with those who go down to the pit. Pharaoh will see them and be comforted over all his multitude. Pharaoh and all his army slain by the sword, says the Lord God. For I have caused my terror in the land of the living, and he shall be placed in the midst of the uncircumcised, with those slain by the sword. Pharaoh and all his multitude, says the Lord God. And that's what happened with the land of Egypt. In chapter 30, before we took the break to cover the high holy days, we saw where God said he was going to break both arms of Pharaoh. And he was going to have Pharaoh and the land of Egypt become like the common people. And that's exactly what happened. To this day, you visit Egypt, you see remnants of the glory that once was of the land of Egypt. The mighty Pharaohs of Egypt. The river Nile that they prospered off of for so very many years that caused them to grow and to prosper and to become extremely wealthy until the terror of all the nations around them rested upon their neighbors. And God said to him, because of all of your pomp, and you believe that you are a God, I am now going to take you down to the pit. I am going to destroy Egypt and all of the armies who have gathered with her and supported her will also join you in the pit. And where is the pit? The pit is hell. First he drowned Pharaoh along with all of his army in the Sea of Reeds when they went after the children of Israel to bring them back into bondage. Is there something similar happening like that today? Pharaoh and his army was drowned. And then God dealt with all the nations who had joined forces with her against the people of God. The leaders of those nations are now in hell with Pharaoh. In comparison, today you have all the little land masses of countries that's referred to as a nation that's really a part of a particular continent ruled by a present-day Pharaoh. And the more they lift themselves up and work together to destroy the people of God, the more they put themselves in a position to join Pharaoh of Egypt as well as the nations at that time that existed who has also joined him in the pit of hell. When we look at some of these nations, we see Assyria, Edom, the Sidonians. They are the very nations that came together after God drove 
Israel into captivity for a second time that led into the Atlantic slave trade, these nations got together and decided to divide up the land of Israel and other parts of the world so that the nations that are on the face of the earth today are divided based on their conspiracies. And obviously, they have no fear of God because if they did, they would not be doing the things that they're doing. They would not be coming together as one to create a one world order. Remember the Tower of Babel. Let's build ourselves a tower that will reach into the heavens and become one. What did God say before they started building that tower? He told them to disperse throughout the entire world and to have children to build up. Meaning each part of them, each section that he gave that those instructions to, you go and you have your little country and you go and you have your territory and your country and if you're all doing what you're supposed to be doing according to what the word of God says to do then when you do these things God will bless you but instead they wanted to focus on the flood and not get drowned again led by the descendants of Ham so they went and they joined themselves together and say we will never be drowned again through a flood we're going to build ourselves a tower that's going to reach into the heavens likewise comparison to that we're going to have a one world government and we're going to become one people. Everybody will follow a religious system that we decide is tolerant to our government. Everybody will worship the way we say they will worship. Everybody will buy and sell according to the way we say they will buy. We say they will sell. We're going to become one people for the good of everybody. But do you think there will be a perpetual slavery in this one world system. Of course, there will be a perpetual slavery because they don't like to pay people. If they don't like to pay people when they're not a one world government, what in the world make you think that they're going to want to pay people fairly, equally when they are one? Man is greed. His heart is continually greed all the time. And all they want is what they want and who they want to share it with. And beyond that, nobody else counts. And that's why God says he's going to bring them down. The Messiah will return. Justice and order will be restored. Will I get to live to see it? I don't know. But it comforts me to know that it will take place. Chapter 33. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, When I bring the sword upon a land, and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman. When he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon him. But he who takes warning will save his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. 
Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity. But you have delivered your soul. Therefore you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you say, If our transgressions and our sins lie upon us, and we pine away in them, how can we then live? Say to them, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? Therefore you, O son of man, say to the children of your people, The righteousness of the righteous man shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall because of it, in the day that he turns from his wickedness. Nor shall the righteous be able to live because of his righteousness in the day that he sins. When I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, but he trusts in his own righteousness and commits iniquity, none of his righteous works shall be remembered. But because of the iniquity that he has committed, he shall die. Again, when I say to the wicked, You shall surely die, if he turns from his sin and does what is lawful and right. If the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he has stolen, and walks in the statutes of life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of his sins which he has committed shall be remembered against him. He has done what is lawful and right. He shall surely live. Yet the children of your people say, The way of the Lord is not fair, but it is their way which is not fair. When the righteous turn from his righteousness and commits iniquity, he shall die because of it. But when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is lawful and right, he shall live because of it. Yet you say, The way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, I will judge every one of you according to your own ways. And it came to pass in the twelfth year of our captivity, in the tenth month, on the fifteenth day of the month, that one who had escaped from Jerusalem came to me and said, The city has been captured. Now the hand of the Lord had been upon me the evening before the man came who had escaped. And he had opened my mouth, so when he came to me in the morning, my mouth was open, and I was no longer mute. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, they who inhabit those ruins in the land of Israel are saying, Abraham was only one, and he inherited the land. But we are many. The land has been given to us as a possession. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord God, you eat meat with blood. You lift up your eyes toward your idols and shed blood. Should you then possess the land? 
You rely on your sword. You commit abominations. And you defile one another's wives. Should you then possess the land? Say thus to them, Thus says the Lord God, As I live, surely those who are in the ruins shall fall by the sword. And the one who is in the open field I will give to the beast to be devoured. And those who are in the strongholds and caves shall die of pestilence. For I will make the land most desolate. Her arrogant strength shall cease. And the mountains of Israel shall be so desolate that no one will pass through. Then they shall know that I am the Lord, when I have made the land more desolate because of all their abominations which they have committed. As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses, and they speak to one another, every one saying to his brother, Please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. So they come to you as a people do. They sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. And when this comes to pass, surely it will come. Then they will know that a prophet has been among them. Yes, God says to Ezekiel, I'm going to make you a watchman on the wall. And when you see a sword is coming, you're to blow your trumpet and warn the people. In this particular case, Ezekiel may or may not have had a trumpet. But in today's time, your trumpet is your voice. We read about the two trumpets in the book of Leviticus. In the book of Leviticus, God instructs Moses to have two trumpets made. And the purpose of these two trumpets was to be able to sound the blast of these trumpets loud enough because if one particular trumpet was sounded, it indicated a certain thing was to take place among the people. In one case, all the people of the congregation were to gather together at the door of the tabernacle to hear what was about to be announced. In another case, if two trumpets sounded, then that means that only the elders, certain leaders of the tribes, were to gather together in front of the temple to hear what Moses had to say. Then, in another case, if two trumpets sounded with certain blasts for certain periods of time, it indicated that the soldiers, the men of war, were to gather together to be ready to go out to fight. And God would hear the sound of the trumpet and he would go out before them to fight against their enemies. But if they didn't sound the trumpets in the way that they were supposed to sound the trumpets, the people did not do what they were supposed to be doing because they didn't hear the sounds of the trumpets. In this case, God is saying to Ezekiel, you are the trumpet. I'm putting you on the wall to watch. I'm giving you my words. When you see people doing things that they shouldn't be doing, you're to warn them. 
Hey, you need to stop doing what you're doing. You need to repent, ask for forgiveness, go to the priest, do the right sacrifices, do what you're supposed to be doing so that God can bless you and you don't die in your sins. If that person doesn't listen to you and they die in their sins, then that's on them. And you have delivered your soul, Ezekiel, because you warned them. It's the same thing today. We have churches. We have pastors in these churches. You know that you are in the wrong place when you hear pastors telling you that it is okay to practice sodomy. Oh, God doesn't care. When God tells us that a man is not to lie with the man the way he does with the woman, and a woman is not to lie with the woman the way she does with the man, it is not okay. It is not okay. And the pastor is telling you in the church, supposed to be the house of God, it's fine. You don't have to worry about that. Those were the old laws. All those things were done away with. You should get up and you should be running. And you know that the word of God says something altogether different. Because, first of all, God is going to hold that pastor accountable. You're preaching lies in the name of God. He will surely deal with you when you go down to the pit. Second off, if you know you have read in your heart that you shouldn't be doing this and you're doing it anyway. So going to these places that's tingling your ears to make you feel good and you don't want to feel bad or guilty about what you're doing. You sit there and you listen and you continue to go. But when you die in the midst of committing the act of sodomy, you haven't given that sin up. You haven't asked God to forgive you and you haven't started trying to live your life the way God says you should live your life when it comes to sexual immorality. If you die in the midst of that, then the watchman, the person who warned you, has delivered their soul. God doesn't hold them accountable for not speaking up because they did speak up and you didn't listen and you didn't heed. And if you didn't heed and you continued, then you will deal with the consequences of the punishment in hell. That's just the way it is. It, 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 and I know it sounds harsh. One of the reasons why our world is the way it is today is because people don't like to hear harsh things that make them uncomfortable. And I know the feeling because I was once there. I didn't want people telling me about my ways. My life was my life. It is mine to do with it what I want to do. Until God got his hands on me and started showing me the error of my ways. And I had to make a choice. And my choice was, okay, of course, I will try to do the best I can to live according to your instructions. It is a hard thing to talk to people or tell anybody something they don't want to hear. So you put it out there. You don't have to keep hounding them about it. This is what the Word of God says. If you don't like it, I don't know what to say. I remember there was once a young man who came to me knowing that I had gotten to the point where I was studying the Word of God, and he was a homosexual. And his question to me was, I don't get, I don't understand why God hate gay people. And I listened to him, and I let him explain what he was trying to relate to me. And I had to say to him, it's not that God hates gay people. God does not hate gay people. God doesn't hate gay people. God doesn't hate uh, people who commit adultery because in the eyes of God, God does not weigh one sin greater than the other. If you are a person who's committing homosexuality, 
you're in the act committing sodomy. If that's what you prefer for your lifestyle when it comes to sexual behavior, don't say that God made you that way. God made man and God made woman. Each man has the opportunity to choose his sexual lifestyle. Each woman has the opportunity to choose her sexual lifestyle. And people have different preferences when it comes to their sexual behaviors. God doesn't hate the person who practices sodomy more than he hates the person who's practicing adultery. Sexual immorality is sexual immorality. He doesn't hate the person who's practicing adultery more than he hates the person who's a pedophile practicing immorality on children who cannot choose and children who cannot defend themselves. There are some people who think it is simply deplorable to have sex with dead bodies or to have sex with animals. But they don't see a problem having sex with children. They don't see a problem with that and vice versa. So when it comes to any sin, I don't care if it's stealing, if it's slandering your neighbor, if it's sexual immorality, if it's not keeping God's feast days, if it's eating unclean foods, I don't care what, whatever it is. We as human beings have a tendency to put weights on which sins are worse than the other. In God's eyes, all of it is worse than the other. There's not one single one that is worse than another. Sin is sin is sin. And no sin will stand before God. So if I love to eat unclean foods, my steak rare, slightly cooked. That is just as deplorable to God as having sex with a dead body. Because that's what he said. He says, you rely on your sword. You commit abominations. That's what he said. You eat meat with blood. You lift up your eyes towards your idols. You're worshiping idols. People are into witchcraft. And that's what Pharaoh was doing. I mean, they were into worshiping all sorts of gods. They didn't worship the creator God. Pharaoh had people worshiping him because he was a god. In his eyes, he was a god. So people brought their gifts and their offerings to Pharaoh. And they bowed down to Pharaoh. And we see here, if you eat meat with blood in it, and you lift up your eyes to your idols and you shed blood, there are people who love to murder. And they think that God doesn't see it. But they think that, of course, me killing somebody isn't as bad as you out here sleeping with somebody else's wife. In God's eyes, it's all bad. And that's why he doesn't weigh one more than the other. And so we as his people, once you decide to walk in his ways, you become a watchman. And when you see a person doing something they shouldn't be doing that is against God, you speak up. They may not want to hear it. But you have saved your soul by speaking up. And so therefore, we are the watch people. Don't want to go before our God and say, we didn't try. We didn't speak up. Even if your way of speaking up is just by writing a letter. If your way of speaking up is just by casting your vote against some evil thing. Let God deal with the rest. Because they're going to do what they want to do no matter what you say. If they've decided they don't want to walk in God's ways, they're going to do what they want to do regardless of what you say. But at least you can say, I tried. You can say that before God, I tried. And knowing that you try, 
he will not hold you accountable for that other person's decision to go against his instructions. So we will pick up at Ezekiel chapter 34, hopefully on our next podcast. It is my hope and my encouragement to you to go and start doing some research on the purpose behind the vaccines that are coming. I encourage you to first pray about it, explain the situation to God, and ask God, should you be concerned about these vaccines? Ask God to reveal to you what is truth and what is a lie, because just like this information about these vaccines out there has truth to them, information also has lies to them. And you have to be able to discern what is the truth and what is a lie, what you can live with and what you can't live with, and make a decision regarding the times that we're living in. Ask God to guide you and give you strength. God is with you always as you walk according to His path that He placed your feet on. Because the other road is broad and you're going to find millions and millions of people on it who's headed for destruction. But the road to life that leads to eternity is narrow and few people you're going to find on it compared to the millions you're going to find on the broad road. May God be with you. May he watch over you, keep you in his safety and in his peace, and guide you along the path of seeking his truths and knowing him as you go in search of his instructions. Mm -hmm.